We're launching into a series today called Neighboring Life, and everything will be geared towards this for the next six weeks. Um, If you miss a Sunday, no worries. If you go to Life Group, you're going to have pretty much the same kind of uh, topic being going there, or you can always check us out at scog.com and, and catch up with the last message. Um, but we are very, doing a very concerted effort onto this topic uh, of neighboring and the idea of what it means to be a, a neighbor. Um, I'm fighting the urge to break out into some Mr. Rogers stuff right now, but um, what that means for us, what that looks like for us as, as Christians uh, as a church staff and elder, we've been looking at neighboring for the last six, seven months, um, really sitting on this idea, kind of meditating on it, going through a book together, working through it. What does this mean uh, for us? And one, in the first chapter of the book, there's this really hard question that's asked. And it hit me right between the eyes, just whammo. You ever read a line from a book and you go, ooh, I don't want to read that one again because that one hurt right? It was this. Are you trying to be the best church in the community or are you trying to be the best church for the community? And that one word in or for went, oh, because I'll be honest with you, my gearing, how I'm gifted, what I wanted to do, how I, how I organize stuff, my pride, let's just be honest, my pride, as Paul and, and Terry and I were talking about before, uh, service, thanks guys for that, by the way, <laughs> we were talking about my pride wants to be the best church in the community, right? I want to be the best in, and that's what we're taught, that's how we're, we're supposed to drive towards, best in, but what does it mean to be the best church for the community? And that moment in that time and asking that question just was like, Someone took a baseball bat and went boom right on my forehead and said, hey, how, how about you change your attitude a little bit? And it's been a dramatic shift in the way in which uh, Kelly and I have even tried to be neighbors to our community, how we've tried to approach things here at the church, how we look at things, how we solve problems, all of that kind of stuff uh, started to change. How do we become the best church for the community instead of the best church in the community? Because you know what? We could be the best church in the community. We could have the best lights, worship. We could put, you know, whatever in here, best kids ministry, best youth program, best everything. But if no one in the community knows we love them and cares about them, it does not matter at all. We are just a really nice country club. And I don't want to do that. And I'm going to be totally honest with you. I have no idea how to be the best church for the community. I'm trying to figure that out as we wrestle as a, as a, a elder board. Like, what does this mean? Does this make us better as a church or does it make us better for the community? When we ask those questions and go, ooh, I don't know. That's a good question. But those are questions. Those are arguments. Those are discussions worth having. And so as we launch into this, this is not just a, oh, Jared wants us to be neighbors and I got to be nice to the guy on the right and the left of me. That's not, it's how do we affect the community? So that if Shoreward Church of God, if the, if the building vanished tomorrow, that we're still effective in this community, that our whole potential doesn't reside within these walls, that our potential resides in how we affect change, how we affect, affect community, how we show love, how we spread God's love into this community. You see the difference between those two? I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier just to work on us 
But that's where we're at. This idea of neighboring scares the bejeebas out of me because I didn't have neighbors growing up. My neighbors to the right of me was uh, rallies. You could literally order a hamburger from my parents' master bedroom. Was that close? We had a car. She left it in neutral when she got out to get her order, and the car backed into the side of our house. That's how close it was. We promptly planted some evergreen (laughs) as a a hedge of protection, uh, literally, (laughs) outside our house because uh, we didn't want people at rallies at 10 o'clock at night running into our house. On the other side of the church was a Taco Bell. So my neighbors... It was like if, we, if I lived on Jefferson here, and one side was rallies and one side was Taco Bell, and that was my neighbors from when I was 11 to 18. But before that, we did have neighbors when we lived in Clarksville, Indiana. Um, and this is my neighboring story, one of, one of them, why neighboring scares me. So imagine nine-year-old Jared. Uh, you, you've, if you've seen my son... Just make him a little taller, and that would be nine-year-old Jared, okay, with the rambunctiousness, the goofiness, the creativity that all that has. Well, nine-year-old Jared got a bow and arrow for Christmas. I don't know what my mom was thinking. And this is a real bow and arrow. It's a fiberglass bow and arrow, this, you know, a good size with the blunt training arrows, the full, I thought I was Robin Hood. This is about the time that Prince of Thieves came out. I was Kevin Costner. You're trying to put the two arrows on there and pulling it out, and they both go like this, and then shooting them, and I don't know how my dog survived. Like, I don't know how everything just lived through all that. So my parents trying to, and I both have eyes. I didn't even have glasses at that time, but I have eyes still. Um, My dad probably trying to wrangle in my uh, creativity, put some straw bales out in the backyard, put a target on it. And we had a privacy fence. And he placed his trust in that privacy fence. He said, that privacy fence will, I mean, if he misses the, the straw bales, then I'll hit the privacy fence and our neighbors will be safe. I'm out there one day. You know, shooting at a target was gets really boring real quick. So let's see if I can hit the target if I aim up. Let's see if I can, you know, whatever. can I skip it? Like, what, what, you know, you just, you get creative. Sorry, only child. Got it really exciting. And uh, at least I didn't have a brother or sister to shoot it at, right? <laughs> you gotta be good for that. So I pull back, and I'm doing it. And I probably was doing, like, the two arrows on at the same time, which you cannot control. I don't know how they do that in the movies. And I was nine, too. And I shoot it, and whoop, past the straw. Oh, the privacy fence has got it. Right through the slats on the cedar privacy fence. I hear a, Wah! Sorry, I was micro-miked. Uh, screamed from the other side of that fence. My neighbor's wife, or my neighbor's wife, uh, got very excited that an arrow just arrived next to her while she was sunbathing in the backyard. So I did what any good nine-year-old did. I ran inside, ran in the basement, and hid under my bed. Uh, to be frightened by a boom, 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 boom on our front door. And there's my neighbor yelling at my father about how dangerous this was and how my kid, if his kid was, uh, he had a three-year-old, was out in the backyard, how dangerous that would be. All things were true. This was a bad idea. So that's my neighboring baggage that is ingrained into my brain of neighbors mean angry, right? Maybe some of you have had similar circumstances, goofy stories that you could share your own of neighboring fails, my dad put his trust in that, that, that uh, cedar fence that it would stop the stupidity of a nine-year-old. That was a problem. I got a little too adventurous. There's a lot of fault on this side of that fence. 
that relationship, you know, we moved away pretty soon after that. I don't know if that was why, but we moved away pretty soon after that. And, but it just, that was my neighboring experience. Neighboring scares me a little bit because I remember being yelled at. I remember anger. I remember, don't you give him my yard. I remember, I hope a wiffle ball doesn't go over that fence because that guy wants to kill me if I come on his property. Maybe you share that same idea with neighboring. Maybe you have that, that, that same kind of baggage or that mess. And so today we want to start breaking down the idea of how do we change the narrative of who we are as neighbors. Because Jesus has a different idea of neighboring. Neighbors aren't supposed to be the enemy. They are supposed to be an entirely, entirely different kind of target. Right? He's asked, how, how should we live? Jesus has asked this. And the reply in Mark 12 Verse 30 is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and your mind, or all your heart and your, all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, if you have your Bible with you, you're taking notes. There is no commandment greater than these. How many of us stop at love the Lord your God. That one's hard enough with everything that you have. It's consolidating it. But he goes on to say, love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing more important than this. Not don't have adultery. Not don't steal. Don't lie. Don't, all that stuff. No, no, no. The most important commandment of all of them is love God and love your neighbor as yourself for years, love your neighbor as yourself is the if I get around to it for me, maybe for you. I lived in Georgia for 10 years. I only know the neighbor who lived to the right of me, Dennis Yee's name, because he would uh, put things on the Facebook uh, HOA page complaining about me all the time. That's the only reason I know his name. It's, it's, and as sad as that is, I don't know anybody else that lived around me. His name. I lived there for 10 years. I didn't know it. I had, had that property for four more years while I still lived here. The cops were called because the tenants that were living there were not living uh, appropriate lives. And so when I pull up after they'd moved out, the neighbor comes over to me and goes, oh, yeah, do you ever figure out what the cops were called for? Didn't know the cops were called. Thanks. Would you like to tell me about this? I didn't have a good enough relationship with my neighbors who knew I owned and still owned the house that they didn't see fit to give me a call to say, hey, something's going on at your house. That is a huge indictment and failure on my part. I'm not loving my neighbor as myself if I didn't even take the time to get to know their names. The stupid thing about that in Woodstock is if I went there today and I went to Starbucks or Panera or to Kroger, I would see five people that know me, that know my kids, that know everything about me. But I didn't take the time to get to know the people that lived the closest to me. I bet that some of us can echo that same kind of thought. It hit me really hard when I, when I had this conversation with him. And I was like, you didn't even think that I could have a phone call. Like, you don't have my phone number. I don't have your phone number. What in the world were we doing? Love your neighbor as yourself. The question that Jesus has asked is, what matters most in life? And the answer is, love God and love your neighbor 
as yourself. I don't operate that way. And I need to readjust, reevaluate, examine how I operate and go, wow. Now, when I say neighbor, because the next question is, well, who's my neighbor? Neighbor is everyone, okay, even the people you don't like. Um, anybody that you share this world with is your, now your neighbor, okay? Let's just be clear about that. You only don't have to love the person that lives next door to you. You have to love everybody, even the people that think differently than you. I hate that part. Um, life is totally different to what Je- in what Jesus is speaking into in this moment, right? The speed of life, how life is 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 figured out is totally different. I can live life like I did in Georgia for 10 years, not knowing my neighbors, and I was totally fine with that. I never needed that. I never had to walk across and, and ask for a cup of sugar or need anything from them ever in 10 years. Probably why I didn't know their name. Jesus's time period, they did life together with the neighbors because they depended on their neighbors. Think about this. If I own the goat, that's where you're going to get your milk from. But you own the chickens, and that's where I'm going to get my eggs from. This barter economy is happening all the time. I am dependent on you for resources, and you are dependent on me for resources. Troy Galetti, uh, my next-door neighbor, he, uh, when I moved in there, he told me, he said, Jared, if you ever need a tool, please come ask me. I've bought way too many of them. It'll help me rationalize it to my wife. I said, okay, that sounds great. He comes over my, my, my garage. He said, where'd you get this tool? I was like, oh, I bought it for this project. He said, why did you do that for? I've already spent the $100. Why didn't you just borrow it from me? And he's genuinely upset with me because I didn't think about I could depend on him and he could depend on me. That's not even in my frame of mindset. I'm the only one that feels that way, right? But the, the idea, the world in which Jesus is talking to you is, is so different. People are depending on each other. And folks, there's something beautiful in that. Because every time you hit, you're not getting in a car, you're not getting in a garage, you're walking to work, or you're, you, you're just walking around town, you're doing whatever, you're walking to synagogue, you're walking everywhere. And at that pace of slow, there's not air conditioning, so everyone's out on their front porch or uh, out on the roof because the breeze would go there and you're just seeing everyone and you're engaging with people and you're talking to them. And we live such an isolated life where my whole goal in life is to get in that garage as fast as I possibly can so I can be in my living room and do my thing and no one else can talk to me. You don't have that option in ancient Israel. Like if you're, your boss, you're mad at your boss or whatever, and you just want to go home, there's crazy Jared just running through the streets. Don't talk to me. Ah, you know, running in, hiding under the covers. That's not happening. You still got to face people. You still, you still have to do life with people. You still have to engage with them. And so when people are saying, yeah, I'm, I'm walking through here and I have to do this and I've dealt with the, the pain of today and I, you know, my, my goat quit, I don't know, doing this and my, my, my kids are doing this. Everyone in the community knows of this because they all live together. They're all close in proximity to each other. And he's saying, you got to love each other even through that stuff. Love your neighbor as yourself. And for us, I think that's a calling even just to get, take a step towards this community-driven type mindset, this community-driven type life. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next five more weeks. Is how do we latch onto that mindset? How do we step into that? How do we shift our culture? And, sit, and so we're, we're loving our neighbor as ourself instead of just running away from our neighbors. One of the problems in this um, comes from our mindset is that when I moved into the house that I live in now, 
I moved in with the idea of I'm going to tolerate my neighbors, not love my neighbors. Like if they can just keep their grass clippings, because we don't have fences. If they keep their grass clippings on their side, I'll keep mine on my side. You keep your snow on your side. I'll keep my snow on my side. I'll keep my dog on my side. You know, it was just toleration, not love. Don't you park your car on in front of my mailbox. You know, don't you do that. Don't you do this. It's all these rules of like unwritten rules. Like if you break those codes, oh, you are out, buddy. Change your, uh, we have to change how we think about our neighbors from toleration to love. John 13, 34 to 35 says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13 is Jesus's final downloading of information into his disciples. This is right when he's washing feet. This is right before he's arrested. This is right before he's crucified, okay? John 13 is the, if he's going to download any more information, this is the last time I'm ever going to see you, Ashley. I want to tell you this. What he chooses to say is love one another. And you know he wanted to just grab Peter by the shoulders and be like, I know you're going be- you're, you're to deny me three times. Love one another. They're going to follow your lead. John, quit being a pesky little teenage boy. Love one another. Like He just is going, love one another. This is his final words. And so with that gravity, we should put it on our hearts. Love one another. Change how we think about our neighbors from toleration to love. I have a friend who doesn't have many Christian friends and he's, uh, he's not a Christian and he, he's very bothered by the world and he's very, very upset with Christians and he's angry about it. And so he asks the question either in his own head or on Twitter or to me directly, Why do all Christians, all white Christians hate black people? Why do white Christians hate homosexuals? Why do white Christians hate this person? Why do all white Christians vote this way? And the problem with that is he has to reconcile Jared. He has to reconcile how I care for him and how I love him how we care for his family and how we love them. And so he could easily have a different worldview and a worldview that said, because media only helps him reinforce his, his, uh, and honestly, Christians help reinforce uh, that thought process a lot. But he has to reconcile that. Jared doesn't live that way. So it can't be true for everyone. And so often we need to take a stand in the gap and say, you know, know, have we given our neighbors reason to think that Christians aren't like that? Have we given our our neighbors reason to think that, no, we, we are a people of love and of compassion and care, not a people of hate. If there's a thought that is more antithetical to who Christians are is that we are a people of hate. The whole thing is about love. But it's far easier to tell you what I'm against than to show you what I'm for. It's far easier to tell you what I'm against than to show you what I am for. I get asked um, often, you know, in my, my, they're like, well, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're against abortion, aren't you, Jared? 
And I'm like, well, can I ask you a couple of questions? And to be clear, I am against abortion. I don't, I, I, I hate the practice, but I want to be far more engaged in how do I love the woman who finds herself in a place that, that that's even an option on the table. And as Christians, I, if we're going to be neighboring and loving people well, we should be far more uh, engaged and heartbroken over what is happening in your life and how do we speak into it, not just speak, but how do we love into it, how do we step into it, so that this doesn't even have to be on the option table. And I, I, it bothers me that someone would even ask me that question because that means that you don't know my answer, that, that I haven't shown you that love is my default. Not, oh, I'm going to tell you exactly what you can't do and what you can't do. Do you, do you see the difference in that? I can be against something. I can be like, I don't think that's necessarily, I don't, that's not what God wants and that's not what the Bible t- says. But let me tell you what I am for. I am for you and I'm for your life and I'm for your choices. And I want to help you come to grips with where you're at in life. Do you see the difference in that? And as Christians in our country at this time, we've done a really, really good job of telling everybody what we're against. And not a very good job of telling people what we're for. And that cuts across whatever political lines you are. I don't care. We're really good at saying what we're against, but not great at, at showing people what we're for. And I, I think the root of this is we've only concentrated on, I'm going to love God in my way and how this is going to happen. And we haven't concentrating on loving our neighbor as ourself. Because if you break down and you start loving your neighbor well, you start loving the people around you well, those, the questions are, are, are answered in themselves. This is a, a revolutionary thought to me. As someone who has a platform and who, who gets to, to, uh, to speak and no one else can talk back. Like I get, I get 40 minutes to say whatever I want to say, right? But to even communicate that is that we, we've got to be people of love. We have to change the way in which we think from toleration to love. If we want to be great neighbors, if we want to have impact in our community, if we want to be the best church for our community, we have to be way more concerned with showing people what we're for than telling them what we are against. We can have principles. We can have morals. We can have But when I say something that people disagree with, that I want it to be so coded and like, I've got, got to reconcile that and I've got to take Jared seriously because he's loved me here, 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 and here. I may not agree with him on this, but man, there's so much love to back that up. I'm going to engage with him still. Does that make sense? Okay. Because I... Hmm. There's a couple truths that we have to come to grips with if we're going to love our neighbors. We're going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to step into a lifestyle of love. A couple truths and they're both kind of hard. Um, And I think we miss them sometimes. The first truth is this life is hard. That's simple. Everyone knows this life is hard. Yeah. My life is hard, Jared, but their life isn't. No, life is hard. All of it. The easiest breath that you ever take is the first one. Right? That's after that. I mean, they help you do it. They smack you on the rear end. You okay? I'm breathing. I'm good. We're done. Everything else after that gets harder. Life is hard, and that's the default. Life is difficult. We have good seasons. We have bad seasons. We have seasons that we can't control. We can't control the weather. We can't control prices and everything. Like life is hard. 
It's also hard for everyone, even the people that we think have it all together. Guess what? Their life is messy and it's hard. They've got stuff. The millionaires that we go, oh, well, everything is just hunky-dory for them. They can buy whatever they want. I bet you life is hard. Dwayne Wade, uh, one of my favorite basketball players, got traded this week to the Miami Heat. He's going home to the Miami Heat. And he put on Twitter uh, a little uh, video of him and, and his wife. And he said, uh, I just uh, thank, thank my wife for, I built her her dream home in Miami. And as soon as that was done, we moved to Chicago and then we moved to Cleveland and now we're back back, but they sold that home. So her dream home's gone and now they got to redo everything all over again. Like here's a guy who has everything anyone could ever want. He has a movie star wife. He's a, a star basketball player, the greatest heat player of all time. And he's still going, you know what? My relationship could fall to shambles if she wasn't being great right now because of everything I've promised her, everything I've tried to give her, it just fell apart. Even the people we think, oh, they've got everything made. They still got issues, right? The people with nothing, they still got issues. And everybody in between, I got issues. Dean, you got issues? Okay, we got issues. You know, everyone's got issues. Life is hard. And until we recognize that as the default position of our neighbors, that you're dealing with something, you're dealing with something, you're dealing with something, okay, how do I help? How do I love? I look, as I start to get to know the stories of the people around me and in my neighborhood, I go, wow, there is a lot of heavy, heavy things just dealing with the eight houses around me. And it's happening in your houses around you guys as well. Second truth is this. People are messy. People are messy. If you start loving people, you will get mess on you. That is just a truth of what happens. Right? You, you start loving people and it's, they're messy. That No one has it all together. The only neighbor that has it all together is the neighbor you haven't met yet. right? People are messy. And if we're going to choose to love our neighbor as ourself, we have to say, you know what? They're messy and something's going to get on me and I'm okay with that. And I've got to choose every day and every moment to say, you know what? I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. Because why? Why that has to be the default position of our heart? Because Jesus says there's nothing more important than loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. There is nothing more important. That should resonate with us. There's a lot of commands out there. There's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that, oh, I got to hold my teeth right, and I got to do this right, and I got to do that right, and I got to, oh, better not touch that, and do all these things. And Jesus says, no, no, it doesn't matter about all the rest of it. Love God and love people. Nothing else matters. And if I'm honest with you, I've shied away from people Because my life is hard, and people are messy, and they get on you, and they ruin your day. But if we're going to love them as ourselves, we have to be willing to make the sacrifice, willing to jump into saying, how do I love you even through this mess? How do I walk with you through this mess? We've got a graph we've been showing a lot lately. Uh, We're going to bring up on the, uh, the screen. It's a nice little tic-tac-toe board. It's the tic-tac-toe board of neighboring, if you will. All right, I, I love this thing. I want you to make two of these uh, tic-tac-toe boards on your papers if you've got a worship folder with you. One of them you need to do, today will be really hard because uh, you know, the snow apocalypse kind of uh, hurt our attendance today. But if you have the tic-tac-toe board, you should be able to fill out all these other spaces 
And if you're sitting next to your family, you, got, you, you want to sit in the middle because then you're really easy to figure it out. But I want you to fill out these other spaces of who are they? What's their dreams? What's their hopes? What's their hurts? What do they want to do? What, what's going on in their lives? Can we do that with the people even in our church? How do we neighbor better even in the seats of this church? And so for the next six weeks, you all have a free pass at asking everybody their name. It doesn't matter if you've been sitting next to them for two years. You get to ask people's names because Jared told me to fill out the board, so I got to fill out the board. What's your name? What's, da, 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 da. Okay, so you got a free pass. No offense can be taken for the next six weeks. Now, the seventh week, I can't say anything, but uh, the first six weeks, you can't get offended about being asked your names, okay? But I also want you to do this for, and I want you to uh, put this on your, maybe on your refrigerator, Who are my neighbors? Can I fill this board out for my neighbors? What does it look like if I change my attitude toward my neighbors so I really love them, to get to know them, to love my neighbors myself? I need to ask these questions. What are their names? It's really hard to love somebody when you don't even know their name. What is their history? Where'd they come from? How long they lived in that house? What are their hopes? Where do they want to go? What do they want to do? And what are their hurts? I can fill out this whole thing for one of my neighbors. I can fill it out for Troy. I can fill it out for Troy. I can fill out half of it for, for uh, probably five of my, my eight squares. His name's Troy. His history is he's a, you know, a fireman. His wife's a nurse, uh, a nurse practitioner now. What are their hopes? They want to retire to Key West in a few years when the kids are out of the house. Um, and I don't like them right now because they're in Key West at this moment. Um, jerks. Um, doing a real good job watching their house today, let me tell you that. All the snow can go in their driveway. Uh, but, uh, and what are their hurts? They've got some family stuff that I'm not going to share to you guys, but I know them, right? And that makes us closer. That makes us tighter. Can we do that with the people around us? Here's the, the crazy thing if you think about when we shift our thinking from being the best church in the community to the best church for the community, think about this way. We have average about 130, 140 people in, in this church. And if we all have eight neighbors that we find, go, I don't have eight neighbors. We'll find some other neighbors to love on. And each of those households has about 2.5 people in it. We go from being able to impact 140 people on Sunday morning to, to 1,600 people a week. That's 10% of Shorewood. That's an impact. And all it means, all, all the whole difference, instead of thinking the only place that people can get ministered to is Shorewood Church of God inside the building, to I can minister to the neighbors every week around me. You see the impact in that? That is a dramatic shift. That's when we go from being the best church in the community, if we, whatever, but to the best church for the community. Does that make sense? That doesn't mean that we have a ton. And byproduct, it probably means more people came into the church. But that's a byproduct. The thing is, do we love the people around us? Can we speak God's love into their hearts? Can we open? And through our neighboring, we get these opportunities to say, you know what? what what's different in me? My, what's different in my family and my heart is that I know a Jesus who loves you and forgives you and cares about you. And we get these beautiful opportunities to change people's lives and their eternities. And so when we talk about loving our neighbor as ourselves, this is a total mind shift because I, I'm chief of this. Yesterday, we always joke about winter is a terrible time to be a neighbor. So yesterday, we, um, 
we live in a cul-de-sac. And so there was a front loader from the city that came in and scraped all the snow from the cul-de-sac. And for some reason, they decided to dump it all in front of my house. So I have a probably 10, 11 foot pile by 30 feet across pile of snow in my house. You want to come over, it's fun. Um, And so what the whole, it was like sending out a news team assemble, come to my house, to all the kids in the neighborhood. And we have dug interior slides into this thing. We've got tunnel systems. We've got outside slides. We've got the kids got brought over um, the plastic slides and we're just jumping off the top and landing and landing halfway in the street, which we kind of had to say, hey, why don't we aim a different way? But you know, whatever. Um, like, it was just been awesome. And so in the middle of February, we've had the most fun neighboring with each other because uh, of, of the gift of snow. And so something that could have been like, dude, you're going to kill my yard. Like, what is happening here? All this tons of snow on my. I get to love kids and love families that come over. We get to provide hot cocoa for some cold kids. And they get to know that my yard's a safe place for them. See the the difference in that? Because Jared probably be like kind of cranky about it. Well, actually, Jared was covered head and foot with snow. But um, this frame in a hole inside the middle, uh, a big pile of snow is fun. But I could have been cranky about that, or I could have shown, seen the opportunity in that. What are we going to choose? Because every day, every moment, in the way in which we see our neighbors, we can be cranky about it, or we can see the opportunity. I want to choose to love my neighbor. And so as we explore this concept, as we explore what this means for us in our life groups here on Sunday morning, ask yourself a couple questions. Who do you love more today than you did a year ago? Who do you love more today than you did a year ago? Is there anybody on that list outside of your family? Who do you love more today than you did a year ago? And the second question is, how does your life show that you're growing in love of God and people? How does your life show that you're growing in the love of God and the love of people? Are there tangible markers that you can point to that say, yeah, I've done a better job of loving God. Yeah, I've done a better job of loving people. Because in the next few weeks and in this next year, as we start changing our our mindset from toleration to that of love, we can start to see markers of, yeah, wow, I never, I got, I got a, we got a thank you note from one of our neighbors uh, yesterday. That's never happened before. Like, that's because we've never done anything nice for our neighbors before. Like, like, I don't expect a thank you note every time, but we got a thank you note. It's like, oh my goodness, that was so sweet. Because we're trying to just open our eyes, wear different glasses to say, how do I interject into these lives? That's my challenge for you uh, as we start to prepare our hearts for that. As a people chasing after God's heart, we have to be a people chasing after our neighbor's hearts as well. They're together. They're not separate. They're not an either or, and they're they're not a if I get around to it. The greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. But love your neighbor as yourself. We can't get so inward looking that we miss the community that surrounds us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're up to. Thank you for what you're doing. God, that today we would start to see opportunities to neighbor. 
That if we see opportunities to shovel, we, we take the opportunities to shovel. If we see the opportunities to provide hot cocoa, we provide hot cocoa. If we see the opportunities to provide cookies, we provide cookies. Whatever that is, God, that you would just prompt our heart to show love, to show care, to step into stories, to step into the mess of other people's lives and say, you know what, I'm going to love you in spite of it and through it. We love you, Jesus. I'm asking you to change our whole way of thinking to change me from the inside out, to change the way in which I view people. They are not impediments to my day, but they are the reason for my day. God, that your love would reign in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.